Sheer Nagarar from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show and today we have Jay Taylor with us. Jay is the lead of Jay Taylor and Associates. He has hundreds of five-star reviews online. He is known for his innovative marketing strategies and strong negotiation skills. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Let's begin with the first question, Jay. Please tell us something interesting about you people might not know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the surface level, my favorite detail is that I was born and raised in Mexico. Yeah. When people look at me, they think, wow, you look very American. And while I do have an American resident and American citizenship, I was first and foremost a Mexican citizen. And how was life in Mexico and how is life in the United States? What has changed? What do you think? Oh, goodness. I mean, Mexico is its own beautiful and messy thing. I love my birth country. I still love to go back and visit all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've spent the last 23 years here in the States. And it's home to me and my family, and I love it. The big difference, obviously, would just be that in Mexico, the pace of life is slow and steady, and no one's in a rush, no one's in a hurry, no one's striving here. Everyone's fighting and elbow jockeying, and you know, the pace is so much faster. I prefer the slow pace of Mexico. Of course. And uh, tell us about the entrepreneurial bug. Like, did you catch the entrepreneurial bug back in Mexico or after being coming to United States again? So when did you catch the entrepreneurial bug? Yeah, I was always the kid who had a crazy idea. Like, I can't think of a day that I wasn't trying to create a small business with my friends or create a social club that people had to like get permission to join or, you know, I think at age six, I made my first business as a paper hat distributor. I would make paper hats out of newspaper and sell them for like 10 cents. And then I would also go back like an hour later and offer to recycle them for an additional 10 cents. So I doubled the cost that they paid for this hat once to buy and once to recycle. And, you know, it was very lucrative six-year-old income. I probably made a whole dollar that day. Fast forward, I learned how to make jewelry as a kid and I made jewelry and sold it to people. And yeah, I think people would always say that, you know, Jay could sell ice to an Eskimo. Jay could sell... <laughs> anything. And so I think an entrepreneur by design falls into kind of a salesy sort of person, like whatever it is that you're so interested in and excited about, you end up having to sell it to people, the vision, the dream, the idea, eventually the product. And so because I could do that in my sleep, entrepreneurial endeavors always came easy to me. Of course. And what do you think is the number one sales tip you would want to give to any person who is selling? Oh, goodness. You know, there's there's no one magic bullet. I think if you read <laughs> any book, it would be like, yeah. there's no one magic bullet. So I would say it's a combination. You, you always have to be willing to talk to people. Like you won't be able to sell something if you shy away from communication. So I think communication is really important, whether that's on the phone, via email, face-to-face. -face. Sales can look a lot of different ways. A really good website is a sales promotional piece. Yeah. So like maybe you can reduce your message down into a simple visual demonstration, Instagram, website, you name it. And that can do the selling for you. So, you know, I would say communication is so important, but even that can be refined into a non-verbal form. I think the second thing is just being willing to self-promote. I can't think of a single person 
who is good at sales and is good at an entrepreneurial endeavor and isn't willing to tell everyone they know that what they're doing is the best thing ever. You know, mm-hmm. no one's going to buy your widget or your well, what's you call it if you don't believe in it yourself. So you have to believe in it so strongly that you're willing to tell everyone about it. You have to tell everything about your business to everyone so that everyone knows that you're doing it this business. So that is what right. you have to talk of. And second thing is communication. So you have to be communicative about your business no matter what the platform is. In your opinion, what do you think is a personality trait required to succeed in any endeavor? Grit. You know, I I read an article about Marines and what it takes to be a good Marine. And they said there's only one like universal trait that exists for a Marine to be successful in the Marines. It's not height. It's not weight. It's not athleticism. It's grit. If you can survive when everyone else fails, you'll make it as a as a Marine. And I think that's similar in real estate. I think it's similar in sales, in any like creation of a new idea. You have to be willing to survive longer than anyone else. I think I've heard that 80% of businesses fail in their first five years. Mm. So how do you outlive your four peers who fail? And how are you the one in five that succeeds? And I think it's grit. I think it's willingness to hear no, willingness to be told over and over and over again that either you're crazy or that your idea is bad or that your product is bad and feel such conviction that you won't quit. doesn't mean your product isn't bad. Maybe you do need to make a new iteration of your product or redo your website. Like take this feedback, learn from it, but don't give up. Of course. And this is a very great thing that you have said that grit is one of the most important personality trait for any person to succeed. As you have mentioned, again, you have to be the one that not does not fail after so many attempts. So yep. being successful, succeeding in any endeavor requires grit. My next question to you is about difficulties. So even though after having grit, there are going to be difficulties. So how do you come up with ideas or ways to overcome those difficulties and uh, what would be your take on that? You know, I have always succeeded. I've never failed. None of my ideas have ever crashed on the rocks. I'm a a weird anomaly out there. If you've read that book, what's the kid who has the Midas touch and everything he does turns to gold? I don't remember. I'm that guy. I Whatever I do succeeds. And I will attribute it to two things. One, I have grit and I'm willing to communicate to anyone, anywhere, anytime about how great whatever it is I'm doing is. Like I have those two qualities and that works well for me. But I think the second thing that I do is very intentional Mm -hmm. and it's what a lot of people forget to do. And that is I surround myself with people who are smarter than me Mm -hmm. in areas that I have uh, a deficiency. So I am not very organized. You'll notice that when you wanted me to be here on your podcast at 1130, I had to text you like, hey, I'll be three minutes late. Why? Yeah. Well, I just, I didn't have the key to my podcast room. I needed <laughs> somebody to go and get it for me. Yeah, um, I'm not very organized. Paperwork, details, those things I hire admins for. Mm. Um, and so I would say the way that you overcome difficulties in any industry, in any endeavor is to know your shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And rather than try and compensate for them, you're going to spend 80% of your time doing something that somebody else could do for you. Mm -hmm. That effectively frees you up to do the things you're good at, at a much higher level than anyone else can. 
So I'm not going to delegate my sales because I'm really good at that. But I am going to delegate my administrative tasks because I'm not very good at that. And so I think the way you overcome weird roadblocks and difficulties is you surround yourself with people who are really smart in the areas that you aren't. If you study like the Myers-Briggs or if you study the Strength Finders or whatever the business rubric that you use to define strengths and weaknesses, find someone who excels in the areas that you struggle, mm -hmm. hire them on your team and you will succeed. So make sure that you hire people that are very good at the things that you are not good at or you would want to save time on. And uh, that way you can do the things that you are really good at and succeed faster. That's right. Been doing it all along. I've had three different companies where I have my right hand person is really great at hearing the needs of others. Because mm. as I'm a you know sprint, full speed kind of guy, I oftentimes miss the needs of my team. And so I hire someone who's really empathetic and someone who's really considerate. And I tell them like, don't feel bad when you tell me that somebody's struggling, know that I missed it and that you noticed it. And that's a, that's a good thing. And I want to hear from you in that way. So they don't feel bad bringing me bad news because they know that I need to hear it. And the same thing with data entry and administrative tasks. I know that I will never do an ounce of paperwork. I don't know how to tell people this because they trust me with all their money. I'm like, I'm bad at paperwork, but I hire people who are good at it. And for that reason, it works. So making it work, you can learn it from Jay Taylor. <laughs> so, <laughs> next question. What is your growth plan, Jay? How do you look at this year and next year growing? You know, you caught real estate in a weird time. You know, we're 10 days out from the financial collapse of two banks, you know, maybe three banks, maybe four banks, maybe five. Like as we watch these small banks struggle with large depositors who are over the FDIC insurance number, they're all withdrawing their funds and these banks are all losing their shirt. Mm -hmm. As a result, people are hesitant to make moves with their money that seem risky. So we're actually watching a lot of people react differently to the news, but most of them are like hesitant to make an offer. Because part of that is they have to talk to a bank and they have to get money from a bank. And so they're like, I don't trust banks right now. So the question would be like, how much real estate will be affected by the collapse of these smaller financial institutions? And I think the answer is a lot. I think we're going to see real estate take a really weird turn. In some regards, it's a very safe place to park your money. If mm. you had $500,000 in an account and you know that the FDIC won't insure above 250, you might choose to pull 250 out of the account mm. to bring your account balance down to the FDIC limit and spend $250,000 towards an asset, whether it's investment home or vacation home or something. So we're seeing a lot of people pull large sums of cash and put it into real estate because it feels safer than those little banks. Other people are taking the news and just turning into turtles and they're like stashing the cash under their mattress, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to project what's going to happen this year. We have been on a very steady growth trajectory from 2016 until 2023, the last seven years I've I've grown by 20 to 50% every single year. So I make my projections that will probably grow by 20 to 50% just because anecdotally we've done that every year. But every year is different. And I'm willing to call a year where we don't lose a win because what I'm seeing is for every 10 realtors that are out there, two are quitting due to weird market instability. You know, if they were looking for 20 transactions this year to keep their family afloat and to pay their bills and they didn't get 20, 
they're going to quit real estate and go to somewhere more stable. Mm -hmm. I do about 150 to 200 transactions a year. So if I have a 20 transaction dip, I still had 140 transactions this year. I can monetize just fine out of a more lean income. So I'm going to, I'm going to survive when 20 to 30% of the realtors die. Die is a rough word. You know, <laughs> yeah. 20 to 30% of the realtors leave the industry. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, even if I don't grow in sales this year, I'm going to grow in market share. And I call that a huge win. If I gobble up 20 to 30% of the market share mm -hmm. by people leaving the industry and me staying, I'll mm -hmm. call that a win. Okay. It is a win no matter where the market is going, no matter what's happening. I'm at the tenure spot where most realtors, you know, lose and, and leave the industry within five years. And mm -hmm. I'm at my sixth year. So I, I survived. <laughs> you know, I made it past the five-year mark. I'm now one of the seasoned realtors. And it, it makes a big difference. People look at me and say, wow, Jay is stable because he didn't just jump in and jump out five years later. And one more thing, like as you have completed almost five years or six years, uh, it has also completed your 10,000 hours, right? Which is the golden rule for getting best at anything that you do. So you have also completed your 10,000 hours by completing five years. So I suppose- That's right. No, Malcolm Gladwell, right? The the tipping point. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I love that. No, I, I read that book and I think it's really intelligent, the idea that you want to be the best right away, but you never will be. Mm. And I've put in the time now. I can now legitimately tell people, no, you're talking to the best team in Detroit because mm. we put in the time. Yes, of course. Our next question, since most of the home buying and selling process has started online and people are going and watching social media for checking what the realtor is up to. So do you think that Reels, TikToks, YouTube Shorts or any kind of internet-based or social media-based information is affecting real estate in any good or ma bad manner? Oh, absolutely. When I first got into real estate, I tried doing it all word of mouth, all sphere of influence, which is a fine place to be after you're seasoned, after you've been at it for a while. But, it, you know, I didn't have the network. I was new to the area. I had moved here in, in July, the middle of the selling season when everyone else is busy and I didn't have a network. So I was not selling a lot. I think I only sold three properties my first you know year in the in the area. And those three properties didn't cover the bills. And I needed to like think about it more strategically. How do I turn this into a true business? Mm -hmm. And Whereas a lot of entrepreneurs try to scale slowly, you know, if they don't risk a lot, they can't lose a lot. And yeah. so they, they play it safe. Yeah. I said, I'll never make a business out of it if I don't treat it like a business. So, you know, within three months of stepping into real estate, I jumped into a major ad campaign just to get my name and mm -hmm. face out there. I did so through online ads and mm -hmm. so through paper printed ads. And for sure, the online ads had a better yield. So mm -hmm. I stopped the paper printing ads and went purely to, to online. I spent about a thousand dollars a month on my ads, you know, and I wasn't making a thousand a month in real estate yet. Yeah. But you know, the whole, if you build it, they will come sort of mindset. I put the money out there as if I had a fully functioning real estate company. And within three months of doing so, I was fully self-sufficient. I didn't need any income from a different job. Mm -hmm. I was full time. I was working hard and it was working for me. So Looking back now, six years later, I would say probably 30% of my revenue comes from marketing via online, whether it's Instagram, TikTok reels, mm -hmm. email campaigns, they're all online forms. My website now converts about three leads a month wow. just by being good at the search engine optimization. So like, like online stuff probably makes me 200 to 300,000 a year. Wonderful, wonderful. So do you think that you would be doing more of Reels or TikToks or videos in the near future? 
Like, do you consider yeah. that? I just got promoted via the like back end of the Instagram, Facebook business side of things. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened. I've got a person on my team who manages all that, mm-hmm. but he let me know that now we get paid by Instagram each time we put an ad up. <laughs> yeah, instead of I me understand. having to pay they pay me yeah i understand completely and i would want to discuss this in more detail of what exactly happened but tell us about the ten thousand dollars extra okay ten thousand dollars extra budget that you have today on your budget okay and what would you do with those ten thousand dollars and why would you choose to do with those ten thousand dollars yeah i i know for a fact that i can i can track my conversion rate down to a dollar in all of my different marketing spaces. And mm-hmm. so there are certain spaces that I only spend, you know, what I think I can handle. Mm-hmm. So if I spent more money in Zillow, I would mm-hmm. get more leads. If I spent more money in Instagram, I'd get more leads. So it's a no brainer, spend more money in those places and get more. So for me, I would invest the money directly into channels that have a return. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that would likely be online ads through like promoting my Instagram channel through mm-hmm. promotional strategies, promoting mm-hmm. my podcast. Right now, every podcast I produce creates about two transactions, wow. which, you know, that means not directly, but indirectly, my podcast makes me about six to $10,000 every podcast episode. Great return there. So I would spend my money in those places where my online presence has a direct correlation to my conversion rate. Yes, yes. So I get it. It is marketing and mainly online marketing that you would be focusing on because that has worked out pretty well for you since the day that you have started the business. Yeah. And I wouldn't put all 10,000 into one space because I couldn't handle the volume of leads that one space would give me. Like if I put all $10,000 into a Zillow campaign, I would either have to spread it out over a year so I could handle the volume or... I would spend a thousand on Zillow, a thousand on Instagram, a thousand on Facebook, a thousand on TikTok. Like I would spread the money out in such a way that I could incrementally handle the increase of volume. You know, $10,000 spent on Zillow would equal another 400 phone calls. I don't have the HR capacity to handle 400 more phone calls, nor the realtors to go chase down 400 more tours and leads. So like if I scaled all at once, A, I would use it all up in one month. And B, I wouldn't have the resources to actually handle that growth in in business. So I would spread it out incrementally across all the channels or across a year. Incrementally, as you have mentioned. Yes, of course. One final thing about $10,000 extra. Would you be investing in people like past clients? And do you, do you think that past clients are another source of lead generation? I already do that a lot. You know, I think if I were to look at the last two months, I put about $2,000 into a thank you campaign for all of my past clients. I just cleared a hundred million transactional volume. So that hundred million was a big milestone for me. So I sent all of my, you know, 700 clients a thank you. And then on Saturday, I'm taking all of my current clients and past clients to a sporting event. I reserved a suite at the local soccer game. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to go and eat and drink and be merry. So I already spent a ton of money on past clients and I would, yeah, for sure. Like that's a great place to spend money. It's one of the easiest sources of new business. If Mm -hmm. I just send out seven texts to seven past clients saying, Hey, how's it going? I miss you. Let's grab a drink. About a month later of those seven, two of them will have bought something. (laughs) It's just the way it works when you, when you paint the people who have bought with you in the past they buy with you again yes yes of course one final question if you had let's say if you were to write a book okay and uh, you have to name it something what would be the name of the book if it was about your life 
and your business? Yeah, so my life, I would probably call it the most interesting man in the room. The most interesting man in the room by Jay Taylor. <laughs> yeah, and it would be, it wouldn't just be about me. It'd be about people like me, people who take big risks, mm -hmm. take big jumps into the unknown mm -hmm. and either how it works or doesn't work. Because people who took big risks and failed are just as interesting to me as people who took big risks and succeeded. Because mm -hmm. both of them have the same mindset as me. Both of them have the same like approach to life. And their stories are inspiring and their stories are either cautionary tales of what to avoid or, you know, success stories that tell you where to spend your time and energy. But I think it's the people who dare greatly and, and risk, mm. you know, everything mm. have the most interesting lives. It's the person who they know exactly what keeps them safe and secure that at the end of the day, don't write a very interesting story. So I would, I'd call it that. Now, if it was specifically just about business, I actually wrote a book during COVID. They locked us up for several months and they didn't let us go out and do our jobs. And so I wrote a book called How I Turned a Thousand Dollars into a Million in Five Years. And wow. it was just, it was a personal memoir of my thousand dollar house. I bought a house for a thousand dollars from the Detroit Land Bank. And five years later, it was a million dollars worth of real estate. I just shared the story of like, how to scale a very approachable real estate industry. It was not difficult. I didn't have to do any one thing that was impossible. I did it all with cash. I never once borrowed a single dollar from a bank. And I turned a thousand into like a little over a million in five years. And so I wrote the book. I haven't published it. Maybe I will soon. Are you planning to? <laughs> well, maybe that's what I'll do with the $10,000. <laughs> Getting back to the question. So thank you so much, Jay, for being on the show today. It was wonderful speaking with you. You are uh, such a pleasure giving person. <laughs> you are a pleasure to my ears. <laughs> so thank you well, so thank much. thank you. I had a blast being interviewed by you. You, uh, I can't wait to hear the show when it's out. Thank you so much again, Jay. Looking forward to speaking with you. Bye. I am your host, Kiran Agrar, signing off. You guys take care. Bye, guys.